0: Councilman Isaiah Thomas introduced the Driving Equality Agenda outside City Hall today. The legislation would codify which offenses warrant traffic stops like drunk driving. Violations like outdated registrations or broken taillights would not qualify as a primary offense for traffic stops under the terms of the bill. That music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. This is the podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, where I hope that you have signed up for our twice-a-week newsletter. Right, news editor Linda Stein? Shouldn't everyone do that?
1: Of course, in the upper right hand corner of our web page.
0: Absolutely. We're also on Twitter at DV underscore journal and at Facebook as well. But get that newsletter and you'll never miss uh, uh, any of the great content, including our conversation with Tom Hogan. He's a former federal prosecutor, former district attorney. He practices law. He understands things great and small about the battle uh, between uh, crime and punishment. And he writes about the topic of law and order for the Manhattan Institute. Tom, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks. Great to be on.
0: So, first things first. How many times you've been arrested, and why are you so mad at the police? <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I, I find it interesting that when uh, people start raising issues about crime, fighting crime, etc., immediately there are questions about, well, why do you have this personal animus for or against law enforcement, as opposed to simple public policy? Have you discovered that as well?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's certainly true. I I remember talking at one point um, with um, an organization that was Families Against Mandatory Minimums, Mm -hmm. and I realized about halfway through um, the debate with them that the leader of the group was actually a convicted felon, Mm -hmm. at which point we started referring to them as felons against mandatory minimums, (laughs) which made a lot more sense to people.
0: And so, uh, with that in mind, that sometimes people get emotional about law enforcement, whether they've had a maybe an un- unpleasant encounter with the police or maybe they've been a victim of crime. What are one or two things that you've discovered as you've written about and 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 been in the, engaged in the uh, law and order issue? The principles that a typical voter should keep in mind about what actually works and doesn't work, separate from you know your emotions and feelings. So on the
2: crime-fighting policies that work. Um, We've drilled deeply into the data. And the two things that make a huge difference for crime-fighting are, one, being very severe on people who are illegally carrying guns. Um, This worked in New York in the 2000s. It helped them to clean up New York. Um, It worked everywhere we've actually applied it. If you're carrying a gun and you're a felon, just carrying the gun itself is an invitation to violent crime. So if you crack down on that, you will have very strong results. The other one is to specifically target the cohort of individuals who are likely to kill or be killed. And it's the exact same group, by the way. You gather up the people who are most likely to be murdered. They're also the most people who are most likely to murder. If you identify them, and this has been studied across the world, 5% of the violent offenders are responsible for 50% of the violent crime in any location. So if you can just take that 5% out, you are going to cut your homicide rate by 50%. You're going to cut your shootings by 50%. So those are things that are very simple. And if you let those go, which is what's happening in the cities that are electing progressive prosecutors, you are getting chaos and mayhem
1: so tom uh it's linda do you think uh chaos and and mayhem are what (laughs) what we're experiencing now in philadelphia under uh the reign of larry krasner then oh absolutely
2: and yeah i've known larry for 20 years and when he came into office i told him look you know larry you're taking over something that's very complicated um if you would like some advice from some experienced prosecutors and people who have been district attorneys for a while we're happy to sit down with you and help. And he said, no, I think I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, and then basically did not ask for any help. And the next thing that we told him was don't try to do all these goofy things at once. It'll be a disaster. Um, so he said, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So he tried a whole bunch of goofy things at once. He didn't rely on anybody with the experience. And yeah, you have chaos and mayhem. It's very predictable.
1: Can you tell me what some of those goofy things might be?
2: He stopped locking people up for violent crimes. He stopped um, having people uh, who are violent not get bail. Um, He is actively engaged in demoralizing the police. Um, He's given up on drug prosecutions. If you want to find out how to solve a a crime in North Philly or West Philly, you have to have drug prosecutions because those drugs are or those murders are occurring within the uh, active drug dealers. It's often between gangs. Um, So if you don't have drug prosecutions, then you're not going to be able to solve them because guess what? Other drug dealers are not going to come in to tell you who killed somebody from drug gang X. It's only when you've got the the hammer of drug prosecutions on top of them, that they'll tell you. That's an active intelligence gathering operation. And this, this whole issue of they are saying they're not prosecuting nonviolent drug offenders. Um, there's no such thing as a nonviolent drug dealer. A, a drug dealer once told me a nonviolent drug dealer is what we call out of work because you can't be violent nonviolent if you're a drug dealer. You're carrying around drugs and money. You're gonna be stuck up. You have to defend your own territory and you have to take over other people's territory. It's an inherently violent proposition.
0: I wanna ask you about uh, the decision of the Philadelphia City Council to pass a measure banning police officers from pulling over drivers for minor traffic violations, stuff like, you know, broken taillights, expired registration. It's being called the anti-driving while black law. And uh, there certainly is data that shows that, uh, you know, black males, uh, particularly, you know, between the ages of 15 and 45 have a disproportionate number of encounters with police. But there are also uh, other data that show uh, how, you know, how often those encounters result in finding out you're dealing with someone with uh, with with crime issues. Where do you fall on this policy? And what do you say to people who say, look, we just need it because, You know, if if you're Black and you're male and you're in Philadelphia, you're just not being treated well by your government.
2: So it's funny. I was up in Boston um, a couple of weeks ago where they had already implemented something like this, and it's traffic, chaos, and mayhem. You pull up to a red light, and you'll have uh, a bunch of young guys pulling up to you on motorbikes, and they'll look at the red light, then they'll look left and look right, and they'll just go through the red light, (laughs) and they'll do it right in front of the police. Um, and the rest of the folks.
0: Well, uh, I have to interrupt you there. I actually moved to Boston in 2005 and spent years living there. And that's not new. That's has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with the, the law. So that's just a personal observation. Please go ahead. Sure. Uh,
2: but one, it's an invitation to chaos and mayhem. Two, this disproportionate issue is people who don't understand statistics, um, which is, you're not comparing the proportion of people being arrested and stopped just to the proportion of people who are white, black, Asian, Hispanic in the population. You need to compare it to people who are offending in the population. Otherwise, all you would do, um, and I wrote about this recently in regards to St. Paul, Minnesota. If you were in um, Hawaii, for instance, um, uh, you would have to pull over, I think it was 84% of the folks who are Asian, in order to hit your exact uh, exact number of Asians in the population. Um, that's not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is pulling over people who are violating the law. And if you are driving, this is an interesting experiment for everybody, as you're driving along, from the back of a car in front of you, try to guess the race and age and gender of the person in front of you. Because you can't see. And you really can't tell who you're pulling over until you walk up there and see who they are. Traffic enforcement, and I always tell people this, traffic enforcement happens from behind, not from in front. And you don't know who you've pulled over until you pulled up. So what you actually need to compare is who is violating the traffic laws. And once you figure out who's violating the traffic laws, then you can compare to see whether or not the people who are being pulled over are disproportionately different in race from those who are actually violating the traffic laws.
0: So the follow-up is, as the city of Philadelphia puts this policy into place, what do you think it will do to the overall crime rate that is separate from driving? And what do you think it'll do to the, uh, uh, the experience of crime in the, you know, nearby suburbs in Chester, Delaware County, who read Delaware Valley Journal?
2: Well, what you're going to get is what's already happened in Philadelphia, which is the uh, folks who are committing crimes are not pulling over for anything. Uh, the police have already found out in Philly that they go to pull somebody over and the person will just take off whether they're in a car or whether they're on foot, they just take off because the DA's office and uh, the Philadelphia police commissioner have decided that they don't want them chasing those folks. And I understand when you're going 100 miles an hour through the middle of a crowded residential place, but you still have to be able to chase criminals um, when it's appropriate. So what will happen now is you will see an increase in the disorder Um, in Philadelphia, and it's already spreading out. It's most dangerous in the border areas um, in Delaware County, in Bucks County, and in Montgomery County that directly border Philadelphia. And you're already seeing chases there where people are heading straight out of the city and running right into the suburbs. And quite frankly, when you run into the suburbs, the police there will still stop you. Um, And then those police are going to have to deal with the crimes on the borders. And I've talked to some of the prosecutors that are in those offices. They're already seeing an increase in border crimes. Uh, so that's something that when you're next to a lawless state, then you're going to have to deal with lawlessness trickling over into your state.
1: Tom, you've written about ping pong murders. Can you explain what that is? And is that a part of what's going on in Philadelphia with the rising murder rate?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Ping-pong murders is something, it was funny, when I got into academics, um, they were all talking about retaliatory murders between organized groups of young males. And I'm like, what? Oh, you guys are talking about ping-pong murders. (laughs) They're like, what? What are ping-pong murders? So ping-pong murders is what law enforcement refers to um, when gangs start getting into it and murders start piling up. In other words, gang A kills somebody from gang B. Normally what happens then is everybody goes quiet for a week or two to see if the police will make an arrest. And if they do make an arrest and the guy from Gang A who killed the guy from Gang B gets arrested, locked up, prosecuted and sent away for life, the score is roughly even on the street. If the guy from Gang A doesn't get locked up after a couple of weeks, uh, Gang B realizes that they're one down on the scorecard. And they go back and they kill somebody from Gang A. And then the same pattern repeats. And then after three or four murders, Gang A and Gang B are going at it full scale. And they're just dropping each other right and left every chance they get. The only witnesses are other gang members and people in drug neighborhoods. The police now are not prosecuting, or the police are not clearing those murders because they're not doing drug prosecutions because the DA's office won't support them. Now you have this pattern where gangs are just killing each other back and forth. In Philly, this is happening on a regular basis. New York estimated that 50 to 60% of their murders from the past two years are gang related. LA is talking about the same pattern. So once that starts, there is really takes about two to three years of serious investigations and prosecutions to stop those gang homicides. And it comes out here to the suburbs as well. We've seen that same pattern in Chester, uh, the city of Chester in Delaware County. We've seen that same pattern in the city of Coatesville in Chester County. And it really, once you let it get out of hand, you have bought yourself three or four years of murders. um, And it's very hard to get hold of. The best thing to do is not to let it start.
1: Okay, well, one other thing I was wondering about is political pressure on prosecutors to um, prosecute certain crimes. Um, Prosecutors have a lot of discretion whether or not they should actually file charges. They have a lot of things to consider, but do you think that that is also a factor whether um, there's a lot of political pressure to say charge an unpopular person with something?
2: The discretion that you're talking about, Linda, is supposed to be applied on a case-by-case basis. So you have the criminal laws, and then you look at each individual case and say, okay, is there some reason this case should not be prosecuted? Um, And yes, it's very difficult if you're a prosecutor to prosecute somebody um, if it is unpopular with the public. Um, you will get a lot of pushback. Um, But you're a prosecutor. You're not in there to play favorites. Um, When people would ask us about how do we make decisions about prosecutions based on race, my response was always, look, I don't care whether the person is white, black, um, or green with pink polka dots. If they broke the law, they're getting prosecuted. Unless there's some really good reason not to prosecute them. Um, So then you get the high profile prosecutions and all sorts of weird things happen. Um, you're seeing that right now with the Ahmad Arbery case. You're seeing that right now with the Kyle Rittenhouse case. You see it with Cosby. You see it with, uh, Weinstein. You get some really weird things going on when cases go high profile.
0: Listen, we really appreciate your time and your expertise. Very, very helpful. Tom Hogan. Thanks for joining us here on the Delaware Valley journal podcast. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.